Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Join me in Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. I shout every time somebody tells me to turn to Mark chapter 11 too. Like, whoa, all right, we know where we're going tonight. Mark chapter 11. Woo! Hallelujah. Mark chapter 11, verse 22, Jesus said, it says, Jesus answering said unto them, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Hallelujah. When we look at this, if you only read that and think it means believe in God, then continue reading because the next verse identifies that he's not just referring to believe in God, but he is actually telling us to operate the faith of God because verse 23 begins to tell you how. Have faith in God and this is how. But 22 from the Young's Living translation means have faith of God. Young's Living translation says have the faith of God. So that's not the idea of just believe in God but it's telling us have the faith of God, use the faith of God, operate the faith of God, employ the faith of God, activate the faith of God. Amen? Have the faith of God. The Passion Translation says, let the faith of God be in you. Let the faith of God be in you. And the fact that Jesus in verse 23 begins to describe how to have or use or operate the faith of God brings a clarity to that. Because he says, For verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he will have whatever he says. In verse 23, he doesn't mention God at all. But he mentions how to use faith. He tells you how to use God's faith. So verse 23 brings a a clarity to that instruction. Have the faith of God. Have faith of God. Let the faith of God be in you. And this is how. Whoever will say to the mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, So he now describes, and I will go on to say, he describes the optimal working of faith. This is the faith of a person who is developed in faith. This is a faith when we become proficient and we are skilled in the working of faith, we will be able to say, and and what we've said, we won't doubt it. We won't allow doubt to make us stagger, to make us waver, to move us off of it. But we will believe that the things we say. So there are a lot of components in verse 23 that have to be 
honed, that have to be um, developed or practiced for us to have optimum working faith, for us to be able to work proficiently in faith. Amen. When Brother Caps, he would say that people would come to him and say, Brother Caps, I can just pray and pray and pray and I'm just trying to believe God and it seems like it takes forever. But if I just say one bad thing, one wrong negative thing, it just happens right away. And he said, that's because they were more highly developed in the negative. And they hadn't taken the time yet to become developed in the faith so that, they, so that it would come quickly, so that it would happen more effectively. Well, you and I, we are faith professionals. We are faith builders. And so we are, we're taking these different components and we are honing our skills in these components. We are developing and becoming proficient in casting down imaginations and every high thing that would try to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. We are learning how to believe the words we say shall come to pass. And that means I'm not saying anything I don't want to come to pass. I'm not using my words loosely, but I'm using my words very specifically so that my words are in line with the faith in my heart. And as I do that more and more, then, then I have a, a straight connection so that I can bring it right out of my heart. I can keep a full measure of faith in my heart, bring it right out with my words, and it'll move that mountain. It'll deal with that situation. So when we look at this, he's telling us, have the faith of God. So I want to talk about the faith of God. I want us to look at the faith of, that God uses, the faith of God in action. And uh, I want to go over to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and I want to look at the word of the Lord that came to Mary when the angel appeared to her and told her that she would give birth to the Son of God. And how did Mary respond to the word? And what can we learn from her response? In Luke, I'm sorry, yes, Luke I turn to Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke. I'm almost there. Keep bear with me. I was talking and not turning, or I turned to the wrong place. Luke 1, 37. Actually, let's begin with 35, and let's hear what the angel brought from the Lord to Mary. The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, Luke 1, 35. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, your cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible." With God. Now he's told her something that was impossible from a human standpoint. That she would give birth to a son without knowing a man. That the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and the word of God would be conceived in her womb. And, and that is an impossible thing with man. And then he said, your cousin Elizabeth... She in her old age, she's always been barren. Now she is in her old age six months along. And now he's uh, affirming, for with God, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Now the word nothing in the original text is actually three Greek words. 
three Greek words. Nothing shall be impossible. In the, in the original text, it says, uh, one of the words is the word no, not, cannot. It's like a, an absolutely not. And then the next word is that each, every, any, all things, everything. So, and then the third word in this phrase is the word rhema. Who would identify having heard that word rhema before? Rhema is a Greek word that we use for word, and it is referring to uh, a, a spoken word, and it's a spoken word that's come alive to someone. It's a rhema word. It's a living word. It, 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 it speaks to you. It, it is uh, identifying something to you. It's alive in you. And so, it, so take all of this together. Nothing shall be impossible. And identify that it's talking about a rhema word. It's talking about a spoken word of God. So it is more effective uh, to understand this if you read it perhaps in the Weiss translation. It says, uh, in the presence of God, no word shall be impossible. And it's an emphatic, no, not any, there's not one word from God that's impossible. And then the emphasis from that other side is each, every, all, every word that God has spoken, every rhema that God has uttered, everyone, it is impossible for it to not come to pass. So in the presence of God, no word shall be impossible. The Amplified says, No word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. No word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. I think that one brings a really good clarity to us because it takes both sides of that. No, not any word from God shall be impossible of fulfillment or shall be void of power. Hallelujah. Another translation uh, that I have is from the, the Passion Translation. It says, not one promise of God is empty of power. And I think this next one is from the Moffat. It says, it will not uh, be impossible for God to fulfill His every declaration. It is not impossible for God to fulfill His every declaration. Everything He's ever spoken, He's, he's capable of bringing it to pass. Every word from God. So this is what the angel said. And if you just look at it as uh, nothing is impossible for God, you'll miss the fact that he's saying nothing God has ever said. That's, that's important to us word people. That's important to us word people. There's not one word from God. That's the thing he's bringing to fulfillment. That's the thing that's not impossible. If he said it, he can do it. If he said it, he will do it. Amen. Is that the attitude they had? I believe it's in the book of, of Numbers where they said, uh, uh, has he not said it, shall he not do it? I mean, that was an attitude. When they said it, they said it kind of with attitude. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Hello, McFly? Has he not said it? Shall he, if he said it, he'll do it? Yeah. Why? Because if God said it, Amen. he'll do it. If he didn't say it, he didn't mean to do it. But because he said it, he meant for it to come to pass. So this is the emphasis in this phrase. 
With God, not one word shall be impossible of fulfillment. With God, no word will be without power. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So this word rhema has to be identified in verse 37. It's in the original text, but King James didn't bring it in. And they just said nothing. No thing shall be, without, shall be impossible, but it's talking about what God has said. Nothing God has said is impossible of fulfillment. Nothing God has said is empty of power. Everything God has said, he's already inserted the power to bring it to pass in the word. God's word contains the power to bring itself to pass just like a tomato seed contains the power to grow a tomato plant. If you want tomatoes, just go get a seed. I mean, if you want unlimited tomatoes, if you want to have tomatoes at, at your, your command, go get a seed and begin planting tomatoes. Why? Because the power of the tomatoes in the tomato seed. And the power of healing is in 1 Peter 2.24. The power of healing is in Isaiah 53.4 and 5. Hallelujah. The power of peace is in the word concerning peace. And so the, no word from God shall be impossible of fulfillment. There's not one word God has ever uttered that is lacking the power to come to pass in our life. It's what we do with it. It's how we receive it. Notice Mary had to receive it. Mary said, be it unto me according to your word. Be it unto me. Why? Because we are free moral agents. God is not going to force his word upon us. He's not going to make his will come to pass in our life without our desiring his will to come to pass. He's not going to say, I so want to bless you. I'm going to bless you even though you don't want me to bless you. No, we have to be participants in the blessing. We have to yield to the blessing. We have to let the blessing govern us. Amen? If, if a person uh, uh, will participate with the Word, then the Word can have free course in their life. Yielding to the Word, being a doer of the Word, hearing and doing, that, that enables us to have that Word uh, manifest in our life. But it's not going to happen just because God wants it. If things happened just because God wanted it, every person on the planet would be saved in serving Him today. Amen? But it doesn't happen just because God wants it. We have to submit to His will and participate with His Word to have the manifestation of His Word results in our lives. So Mary had to submit. She said, be it unto me according to your word. She received the word and the word contained the power to bring itself to pass. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1.14 says. So the word, when God spoke it, when it came out of his lips, it had the power to bring itself to pass. And in her life, she had to be the recipient of it. She had to choose to receive the word in her life. The word received, let's look over at Mark because uh, I want us to identify in our part how we uh, allow this impossible, made possible action to have place in us. If, it, if it's possible for God to bring to pass every word He's spoken, 
How do I participate with that? How do I let every word God has spoken about me have its full manifestation in my life? Well, Mark 4 talks to us about how the word is received. If we look at the parable of the sower, and I don't want to read through the entire parable of the sower, so I just want to, uh, for the sake of, uh, of teaching, express the, uh, identify the different types of soil. All of the soil heard the word. They all heard the word. So the hearing is part of it, but the hearing is not the only part. They all heard the word, but the first type of soil is referred to as wayside soil. And it says it was uh, immediately stolen by the birds of the air. And then when Jesus explained it, he said Satan comes immediately to steal the word that was sown. Matthew 13 says it was word that was not understood. Word that was not understood. Can we look over at Matthew 13? Hold your place here in Mark 4. Because uh, if a person thinks, well, the devil can just steal the word as soon as I get it, then they will never resist and, and hold on to anything. Why was the enemy capable of just stealing it right away? Matthew uh, 13, 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then the wicked one can come and catch away what was sown in his heart. Why? Because he didn't understand it. That The understanding is the key to not being wayside soil. Now, I've used this illustration before, but it bears repeating. I sat through all of seventh grade pre-algebra and all of algebra, and I don't know how I made it past that class. It must have been the mercy of the teacher because I never caught any of the concepts that they were teaching. I mean, I skated by with the lowest grade they could possibly give me and still let me advance to the next, next grade. Because I sat through that algebra class and I was so, I would get aggravated. I would, I would get irritated that she's got alphabet on the board in the math class. Why do you have A plus B equals C in the math class? I am not in English tonight. I am not over in my spelling, grammar, English. Why do you have alphabet on the board? This is mathematics. Put some numbers in that. Put some numbers on that board. And it just threw me. Now, I can look back now and I can see why. I had moved around schools during times that they were learning mathematical uh, uh, um, multiplication tables. I wasn't really good at my multiplication tables. I was still counting them on my fingers six times seven and I was doing it six times, you know, seven, 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 six times. And so I did not have the, the, the fundamentals to be able to understand a lot of what she was saying when she was saying certain things. I had, I had just come to that school district and I was, I was clueless. And so I was irritated because I didn't understand. And instead of learning it and applying myself, I just decided to sleep through that class. And I, I wasn't even sleepy most of the time, but I just was aggravated. And so I just shut my book and I put my head down and, and zoned out. And, and I would do other homework or whatever else because I did not understand it. And the... the 
wrong attitude towards it made it stay dark to me, a, a mystery to me, until my kids went to algebra and came home and threw their book on the table and said, I don't get this. And I said, we got to pass this class. Give me the book. And I had to open up the book and, and read through the problem and go back and read through the lesson and walk myself through those examples. And I got the problem right. <laughs> I was so shocked. I did it. Woo! I did it. Now, I can't say I mastered anything out of that, but I did help in homework some. But the difference was I gave myself to the understanding. I, I, when I wanted to understand it, okay, give me the book. Let me read the problem. Let me read the examples. Let me go back a couple of chapters so that I can help Angela get this concept, at least be able to, to pass this class, the, the desire to understand it made me open my eyes to it, made me look for it. So when it says they did not understand it, can you go back to what Jesus said, the reason he spoke to them in parables? Do you remember what he said? Go back to Mark 4 and look at verse, they asked Jesus, why do you speak to people in parables? And he said in verse 12, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they hear and they don't understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sin should be forgiven them. Well, that's a quote from Isaiah chapter 6. It's a quote from the, from the book of Isaiah. Let me tell you what Jesus didn't say. Jesus did not say, I'm telling this in parables to, they're, because I'm hiding it from them. I don't want them to see it. So, Well, that would be foolish. Why would he preach something he didn't want people to see? He wanted them to see it, but they couldn't see it. They were hearing him and couldn't hear him. If I stood up here and I said, Gloria al Señor, este es el día que el Señor ha hecho y vamos a recibir cada cosa que Dios tiene para nosotros. There may be one or two people who know what I just said. You heard me, but you didn't hear me. You heard me, but you didn't understand what I said. So they were hearing Jesus but they couldn't understand what he said. It was hidden from them. It was something that they were not taught in. It was something that they were not able to receive. So he put it in a story. And he said, I'm going to hide it in your heart. And when you grow a little bit, you'll get it. I'm going to put it in a parable. And when you come into more light, you'll look back on this story and you'll be like, oh, I get it. I get it now. That's what he meant. You'll pull the story back out and the truth will be hidden right there. And you just think I'm talking about a sower sowing seed. But, but when light, more light comes and more understanding comes to you, you'll be able to receive it. That's why he spoke to people in parables to help hide it until they were at a place of understanding. Until they were at a place where they could receive it. Uh, I've had the opportunity to travel 
uh, with Pastor and Sister Jeannie. And in that time, we would, you know, if we were traveling to another city or something, they would invite Pastor and I to come to dinner before the meeting or to meet with them in the hotel restaurant. And uh, I, I kept hearing him tell me a story that I know I'd heard him preach it. I know I'd heard it in, in sermons that I was sitting under and sermons that I had listened to on, uh, on CD or on a flash drive. And he kept telling this story. And, and because when I go with them, I, I don't come into their presence. I come in with my pencil and my notebook. I mean, I've got a notebook with all of the things because I want to retain what he tells me. And I'm constantly, okay, I'm writing this story again. I know he's told me this story before. And about the the 12th time I heard it, I got it. I got it. Revelation came. The Holy Spirit just opened it up. I'm like, oh, that's what he means. I'm glad he didn't stop telling it. I'm glad he did not stop sharing that with me because it was a story that held a truth that would help me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So he said they are hearing, but they don't hear. They're seeing, but they don't see. Uh, That word, they don't see, it means they're squinting. It's like a person who walks out of a a movie theater or a dark room out into the noonday sun and they're like, oh, wait a minute, sunglasses, please. Why they're squinting at the brightness because it's such a shift in light. And that's what he said they were doing. They're squinting. They're, They're closing their eyes. Their eyes they have closed. They're squinting at the light that I'm giving. If they would ever see it and hear it, they would understand it and the conversion, the turn would come. I could turn them. The salvation would come. The healing would come. The debt freedom would come. If they can see it and hear it. So what do we do from that? We learn how how to hear it and hear it. He that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. A lot of people are hearing the noise like when the, the Father spoke and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. A lot of people heard thunder. It was the voice of God, but some people couldn't identify the voice of God. They said, is that thunder? I hear thunder. Uh, That sounds like thunder. Is there a storm coming? No, that was God saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, but they weren't tuned in to hear God. Hallelujah. In um, Mark 4... The wayside soil being soil where the word was sown, but for a lack of understanding, the enemy was able to take it and and, uh, steal it from them. Then we have the stony ground, which is an offended heart. People being, it, it specifically refers to being offended at the word. But I found in pastoring that any offense will stop the growth of the word. If you are easily offended at people, if you are easily offended, uh, if people, if you think everybody's looking at you wrong, if you think nobody likes me, everybody hates me, guess I'll go eat worms, it's going to be hard for the word to grow very uh, diligently or fruitfully in your heart. And so uh, the offense is a lack of root system. It's a lack of depth in the heart. And so there needs to be a maturity. There's a lot of times that 
people are not receiving and bringing the word to fruition because of a lack of spiritual, a lack of maturity in their heart, a spiritual maturity. And so as we grow and learn how to walk in love better, we're going to see a greater effectiveness of the word working in our life. Because that's how we get depth of earth, is we become, uh, we become 1 Corinthians 13 governed. We are not easily offended. Hallelujah. We think the best of every person. We are kind and patient. We allow those characteristics of God to grow in us, and then we're going to see His Word easily productive in our life at a greater measure. And then when it says the, the thorns and the uh, refers specifically to the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and a craving for other things can enter in and choke the Word. Well, we just found out that there's not one word from God that's impossible of fulfillment. Wait, wait, wait. Not one word from God is impossible of fulfillment, but we've just identified three types of heart conditions where the word doesn't come to a full fruition, a full productivity. But it's not the word that faltered. It's not the word that failed. It's the condition of the heart that failed to bring the word to, a, that provide the word a place in that life to have its full manifestation. So the word is still capable. Every word that was heard in the wayside soil, the stony ground, and the thorny ground was God's word. It was the same word that the good ground person heard. It's the same word, but what we do with the word is what determines how it manifests. What did Mary say? Be it unto me according to your word. Be it unto me. Let your word be in my life. What you said, Lord, is what is happening in my life. Hallelujah. So let's look at the wayside or the uh, good ground in verse 20. It says, these are they which are sown on good ground. This is the faith builder's verse right here. This is you and me. These are the faith builders, which the word is sown on good ground. They, here's what we do. We hear the word. Well, they all heard the words, but that is the first part. They all did hear the word, but the hearing of the word is necessary for the receiving of it. I have to hear it. So they heard the word and receive it. Now, notice that's two different things. Hearing it is not necessarily the receiving of it. Hearing it is different from receiving it. Because this word receiving means to take with the hand to bring it into your possession. So the person who has received it has made it personal. This belongs to me. I am the healed of the Lord. By His stripes, I am. Am is the be that is conjugated in the, the first person present tense. The, the, the word in the original form is the verb be. I got all kinds of teachers. That's right. Amen, sister. That's right. I, we had grammar this morning. We're having grammar again tonight. Okay? 
It is the verb be and it's conjugated I am, you are, we are in the present tense, right? So when Mary said, be it unto me, she is receiving it and taking it into possession and saying, that now is mine. That is my word from God. That is now my property, my possession, taking it personal, receiving it. So a person can hear it. She could have heard it and not received it. She could have heard it and said, you need to let three red cars and two blue trucks pass by me before I believe that. You need to let the cotton be wet and the ground around it be dry before I believe that. Show me that. No, she didn't require any sign. She didn't require any outside manifestation. She said, Lord, I take that. That's for me. That belongs to me. That's mine. I'm going to own that. I'm going to work that ponytail. I, that, I belong, that belongs to me. I, I, I'm working it, right? This is my word from God. And, and she received it into her possession. And the way that you can identify whether you have received it into your possession is how you say, how you speak about it. Do you remember the story that we've told of the preacher who went to the camp meeting, the Rhema camp meeting, and he knew two people who were battling cancer, and he went to the first person and he said, I want to find out where you're standing, where are you with this? And the man said, I believe that God's a healer. I believe He can heal me from cancer. I believe I know too many things, too many people who've been healed. I know there's too many scriptures in the Bible that identify He's my healer. That, that, and, and, and he walked away and he said, "Just I, I was like, what is not computing with that answer. He went to the next person and he said, I want to find out where you're standing with this. I want to be in faith with you. And that person said, I am the healed of the Lord. By His stripes I am healed. I'm healed already. Honey, I'm so healed. I'm healed because Jesus bore the stripes on His back. And God has taken sickness far from the midst of me. She has taken that and made it personal. The other person did not win his victory over the cancer, but this woman did. And the difference is the, that one person never owned it. They knew, it was, it, they knew those scriptures were there, but they never knew they were mine. And for you to receive the gospel, you've got to make Jesus yours. You've got to say, Jesus is Lord. You know, think about that scripture. It says that if the man believe in his heart, that God has raised Jesus from the dead. That's the specific thing he's believing. And then he confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's the specific thing he's confessing. He shall be saved. And we know the word saved means restored, made whole, delivered, healed, rescued. Right? And the believing with the heart, but he's believing something specific. That same concept works for healing. If you believe in your heart that Jesus bore stripes on his back to purchase and pay for your healing, and you confess with your mouth, Jesus is my healer, you have just authorized him to take the position. And with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. When I left today... I went to Dillard's. 
because the Dillard's in Little Rock is sad <laughs> compared to Oak Park Mall. Dillard's. Woo! And, of course, it was July 4th sales still going on at Dillard's. <laughs> and I, I found what I wanted, and I paid for what I wanted, and I walked out with what I wanted because I paid for it. If I just found what I wanted and I didn't pay for it, I couldn't have walked out with it. But when I stood at the counter and I made a transaction, it was a righteous transaction. They said, ma'am, this is how much you need to pay to walk out with this clothing. And I paid that amount and now I'm righteous with Dillard's. I'm good with Dillard's. I've given them what they asked and now I am righteous. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. The faith transaction, believing that God raised Jesus from the dead, is necessary. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. We're not talking about my my making myself righteous with God. I believe that Jesus paid the price, so my faith holds the same value of what I'm believing in. I believe Jesus paid the price. My faith stands as the price paid. Why? Because Jesus did it for me, and I'm putting my faith in Him. Lord, help me say this. If I believe that the stripes that Jesus bore on His back paid for my healing, then my believing that stands as a valid transaction. I can walk in to my account at my spiritual bank and I can say, I have the proper transaction to withdraw my healing because I believe Jesus purchased my healing with the stripes that He bore on His back. He was wounded for me. He suffered. He bore my sickness and carried my pain. Surely, He bore my sickness. So I come with the faith transaction and I say, Jesus bore my sickness so I receive His healing. That is a valid transaction. And that's the only valid transaction. I can't come in and say, Lord, I have fasted four weeks. I have, I have read and confessed these scriptures 742 times. So I now have a valid transaction. No, that's not a valid transaction for you to receive healing. You can't fast 70 weeks and, and have a valid transaction, but you can believe and it's a valid transaction. You have now made the valid uh, transaction to walk out of the store with your healing. Amen. You can now walk out with your healing. Why? Because I have the receipt where this transaction has been made, I believe. When, when Abraham was willing to offer Isaac, God said, now I know. I don't need you to do it. I just need you, I need that willingness. I need that faith, that faith expressed and I'm willing. What was he saying? Accounting. Hebrew says he accounted that God was able to raise him from the dead. 
God saw faith. That you believe if you give me Isaac today, I will raise him from the dead. That's what I need. That's what I need. Why? Because I need to raise my son from the dead. And the partnership of a covenant, if Abraham had not believed that, God would not have had legal right to raise his son from the dead. To give his son and then raise him. So the faith transaction is our part. We don't have to do it. We just have to believe it. We don't have to make it happen. We just have to believe. And so the believing is not even hard because God's Word contains the power to bring faith to us. If we'll just put the Word in. You know what? When I go to the fuel station and I put fuel in my car, that car will travel, and I keep it at the speed limit. I'm not the speed racer that my husband might be, but it it will still travel, right? But it's no effort on me if I'm going 70 miles an hour. I don't get home and say, whoo, that 70 miles an hour trip will wear you out. Why that 70? Now, if I was going 20, it'd be a little bit easier, but no. So, whoo, the faster I go, the harder. No, it's easy. All I do is put the fuel in. Just If I've got the fuel, I can make it, right? The Word is the fuel to your faith. If you just put the Word in, you've got the, you can go however far you need to go, however fast you need to go, as long as you've got the fuel of the Word that will produce the faith. So you don't have to make faith happen. Faith is not hard. It may be different if you haven't operated in it, but for those of us who are applying ourselves to proficiency in faith, this receiving is our part. It says, hear the word and receive it. Take it with the hand. Accept it. Here's the, here's the actual definition. I'm going to give you the whole definition from the Greek uh, language. It says, to take up, to accept, to acknowledge as one's own. In other words, you say, that belongs to me. You remember how, how we often say, that happens to me all the time? What are we doing? When somebody says, I came out of debt in nine months, that happens to me all the time. That happens to me. We're acknowledging it. We're saying, I'll take that. Deliver that to my table. If, if they come by in the restaurant and you say, ooh, you smell the fajitas as they come by. Bring those fajitas to my table. <laughs> Praise God. So it also means, now I like this one as well, the definition also means to admit as in a court of evidence with approval. To admit like the court of evidence with approval. So if you've ever been in a, or seen a court case and they come up and say, Your Honor, I would like to submit this uh, doctor's report or uh, this uh, accident report uh, as evidence in the case... Well, the judge has to approve that it can be admitted into consideration in the case. If, and, and so this word to receive means to admit it into the court case and approve it. I approve that. So when, when for instance, let's say 1 Peter 2, 24, by his stripes you were healed, I approve that evidence in my case. Let's bring that evidence onto my side. Let that be part of the evidence in the consideration of my case. So 
the receiving of the word. They hear the word and they take it up. They accept it. They acknowledge it as their own. They admit it into their court case as evidence and approve of that evidence. Hallelujah. And then they bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Hallelujah. So the fruitfulness is the evidence that they maintained the possession of that word until it brought forth a full growth of that word. And that's where we are. That's where we are. We are, this is not a drive-through. This is not Burger King, have it your way. This is not, you know, just pull up and order it and then drive around and get it. This is, I've got to sow the word. This is the sure way. This is the sure way. Healing, for instance, is available by gifts of healings, by the prayer of faith that saves the sick, the prayer of other people praying the prayer of faith, by the healing anointing. Jesus said, I am anointed. Healing is available many ways, but a lot of those ways I would have to depend on somebody else to get my healing. For instance, for a gift of healing, you can't make a gift of healing operate in yourself. If, if there's not someone who has the gift of healing manifesting in their ministry, then it's not something that you can just, you know, oh, well, Lord, give me the gift of healing today. The prayer of faith is someone else's faith being prayed over that person who is sick. So that's dependent on someone else. Well, what if you're in a position that you, you can't call for the elders of the church to, to pray for you or you are not in a service where the anointing is met, flowing in that direction or the gifts of the healings? Well, you're still not under uh, uh, the circumstance at a loss. You've always got faith. You can always believe and receive by faith. And God chose that way to be the most secure way for us. He said in Romans chapter 4, it is by grace that it, it is through uh, uh, grace that it might be by faith to the end that the promise would be sure. The promise is sure through faith. Through faith, it's not a, a I hope so, maybe so, is God going to do it? No, it's sure. It's sure. Why? Because there's not one word God's ever spoken that's impossible of fulfillment. If I've got His word on it, I've got it. I've just got to learn how to properly receive it and maintain it in my possession. Why? Because the enemy wants to move people off of the Word. The enemy wants to steal the Word, wants to get people all discombobulated with worry. Wasn't that one of the first things identified in the thorny ground, the cares of this world? Our pastor wrote the book about uh, uh, the cares refusing the care, hallelujah. And God told him as he was studying and, and the reason he put it in, out in book form, God said that when you worry, it props the door open for the enemy to bring in all kinds of other evil things into your life. That worry coming in. Hallelujah. And it's choking the word. But those of us who are good ground Becoming more proficient in being good ground. 
we learn how to maintain possession of that word. Let's look over at uh, Romans chapter 4 and let's see how Abraham maintained possession of the word. We saw that Mary took possession. She said, be it unto me according to your word. Romans chapter 4. And if this subject is interesting you at all, I have already taught two installments on it where I went in a little bit different directions uh, uh, and covered a little bit different ground than we're covering tonight. This is part three. So go online at the Little Rock campus and listen to the other parts and it'll help you. Romans chapter 4, let's see um, in verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Notice that as it is, is written... Uh, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. Now, it says that God quickens the dead. We know that Abraham, his, his body was beyond the age it would have been considered dead in childbearing, child-producing uh, uh, capabilities. His wife had always been barren. She had never had the ability to conceive a child. But God quickens the dead. It is identifying that God can bring to life areas that are not productive, areas that are not producing, areas that are not uh, alive. He can quicken the dead. He can bring those places to life again. God quickens the dead and God calls those things which be not. There's the word be, the, the, the verb, which is the state of being verb, be, which we would say I am. So if you want to take possession of something, say I am healed. I am prosperous. I am waxing exceeding mighty. I am multiplying as the bud of the field. I am increasing more and more. I am the head, not the tail. I am always going over and never going under. I am. Why? I'm bringing that into my state of being. And God calls those things which be not as though they already were, as though they were. He calls them even though they be not if in order for them to come into being, you have to initiate the seed that will bring them into being. He calls those things that be not, those things that be not in manifestation, He calls them as though they were in manifestation because that's the way to bring them into manifestation. So if you want it, call it like you want it. And... The, what will help you identify, am I in faith or in hope? Hope says God's going to. Faith says God has. So if a person is still putting off into the future, God's going to heal me, they are hoping. But if a person says, I am the healed of the Lord... Don't have evidence, don't, symptoms are still here, but I'm not healed because the symptoms tell me I'm healed or not, and I'm not healed because the symptoms tell me I'm not healed. Do you hear me? My, my state of healing is not determined by what the senses tell me, what the symptoms tell me. 
So if the symptoms are present and they're telling me you're not healed, they're lying. They don't, that's not truth. What's truth? Truth is the Word. The Word is truth. So I'm taking the Word and symptoms are not my truth. Symptoms are facts and truth can change facts. Facts can't change truth. Facts don't supersede truth. But you have to bring truth in and put it into a place of dominion with the verbal authorization. What are you authorizing? What have you authorized with your voice to come to pass in your life? I am is authorization. I am. Now, if you say I am and then you put it with something negative that is agreeing with I'm, I'm broke, I'm sick, I'm whatever, then that's not a confession that your high priest can, can work with. You know who's going to work with that? Not Jesus. Jesus can't work with that. He's like, I, what can I do with that? I, I can't do anything with that. What did you say that for? Don't say that. Give me something. Say something I can work with here. Give me something I can work with. Until then, my hands are... He is the high priest of our confession. That's why we have to hold fast the confession of our faith. Because he's faithful, but we have to hold fast. We have to hold fast. Why? Because our high priest is watching over it. When we read Psalm 91, it begins with what I say. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and He is my fortress. My God in Him shall I trust. And from that moment on, there is that whole segment where he says, because you've made the Lord. Because you've made the Lord. This is what's going to happen. A thousand shall fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand and no evil shall befall. He goes through and begins to describe. But that's not you speaking. That's your high priest who has received your confession of faith that I will trust in the Lord. He is my refuge. I will say He is my refuge. He is my fortress. And He says, I received that. I'll take that. Let me tell you what's going to happen as a result of that. Because you have made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the habitation. And He begins to describe it. And then God steps up in those last few verses. And God says, because you have set your love upon me. Therefore will I deliver you, and I will set you on high. And so this is a a covenant conversation then. Psalm 91 is actually a covenant conversation, and it's an example of how Jesus, as our high priest, will take the words that we say and connect them to our covenant benefits, but we have to have our saying. We have to have our part of saying, Be it unto me, Lord, according to your word. Be it unto me, Lord, according to your word. We have to vocally authorize, voice activate, covenant benefits so that our high priest can take our declaration of faith and connect it to our provision in in the covenant. So he calls those things which be not as though they were. This is not lying and it's not denying. It doesn't say that he calls things that are as though they're not. It didn't say that. There's no power in calling things that are as though they're not. God didn't step out and say, it's not dark out here, it's not dark out here, it's not dark out here. Or 
in a, an example of today, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. That's not power. There's no power in saying I'm not sick. The power is not in denying what is. The power is in calling for what isn't. We bring to naught the things that are by calling them into existence. By bringing into existence the things that are not. What 1 Corinthians said. We bring to naught. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and He has chosen the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are. Go with me to 1 Corinthians because I'm, I'm, I, I want you to see it and see it. Chapter 1, verse 27, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised has God chosen and things which are not to bring to naught to nothing things that are. Things that are not in manifestation to bring to nothing, to render idle or inoperative, to deprive of force. I'm giving you the, the definition here. To cause, to cease, to put an end to the things that are in manifestation. So if poverty is in manifestation, there's no power in saying, I'm not broke. I'm not broke. Bless the Lord, I'm not broke. Bless the Lord, I'm not broke. There's no power in that. If you want to bring that to naught, if you want to cause it to cease, if you want to render it inoperative, you call for what is not in manifestation. You say, I am blessed. I am blessed and prosperous. I have given and it's given unto me good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. I'm the head, not the tail. I prosper in everything I set my hand to. The Lord has commanded the blessing upon... Well, it's not in manifestation. That's why I'm calling for it. That's why I'm calling for it. I just did a, a proofreading for a, 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 a reset of the um, book that Charles Capps wrote on uh, faith and confession. And as I was proofreading it, I went through that whole section again. And he said uh, it, he was using the example of cats and dogs. And he said, they'll do it. The, the people will say, well, I would never say that. I would never say that. But they do it with cats and dogs all the time. They go outside on the porch and they want the cat. So they call for the cat and they say, here, kitty, 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 kitty. Here, kitty. Well, the cat's not here. Why are you saying that? Well, I want the cat. That's why I'm calling the cat. I want the cat to come. You, go, you, you step out and you call the dog because you want the dog to come. You're about to feed the animals, so you call the cat. You say, you, you begin to call them and let them know. Here, here it is. Come, come. I want you to come. So you're calling, but you don't see them. They're not there, but that's why you're calling. So if you want to bring something to nothing, call for what needs to be in that place. Call for it. Call for it. I am the heel to the Lord. What, call it as though it was already in manifestation. This is not for you to go convince somebody else. This is not for you to get on the phone to all of your family and say, listen to me, I'm healed of the Lord, I'm healed of the... No, it's not for you to convince people. This is for you to sow into your heart. 
This is for you. This is in your, in your time uh, for you to put it in your heart, put it in your mouth, and, and bring forth the harvest, 30, 60, 100-fold return of the word. This is not for you to be convincing other people. The faith in manifestation will do that when it comes to fruition. This is for you to sow it, for you to groom and, and protect that harvest that's in, in your heart. Amen? So he calls those things which be not as though they were, and that's how we bring things that, that uh, are not in manifestation to nullify what is in manifestation. God has chosen that method. God has chosen that method. So God said, let there be light. And there was no light until he called for it. God said, let the firmament be. And it wasn't until he said it. The stars, the orbits, all of the different things, none of those things were that way until he called for it to be that way. Jesus told the lepers, go show yourself to the priest. They were in no condition to show themselves to the priest. But Jesus was calling them whole when he sent them to go show themselves to the priest. He's saying, you go show yourself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When Jesus said, peace to the storm, there was no peace until he called for peace. God calls things that be not. He called Abraham the father of many nations when he was not the father of many nations, didn't have any children. He called him the father of a multitude, the father of many nations. He called him that, and as far as God was concerned, he was what God said because no word from God is impossible of fulfillment. No word from God. God considered it done because he said it. If, if I said it, I said it. Didn't I say it? I said it. Hello? See that same attitude we've got to have? He said it. That's where we've got to be. Lord, you said it. That's all. I'm, uh, you said it. Let it be unto me according to your word. I you said it, I receive it. You said it so it's possible of being fulfilled. You said that I will uh, live long, satisfying life. You said that. I receive it. You said that by your stripes I am healed, so I'll never be sick another day in my life. Just go ahead and max that one out. Just go ahead and max it out. Let's not just live healing to healing. Let's just go ahead and say, I will never be sick another day in my life. Do you think there's enough in your account of healing power to provide healing for you to just bypass every disease opportunity, every sickness opportunity? If something in your body is getting worn out, just go ahead and access the restoration to get restoration on that joint, restoration on that ligament, restoration on those uh, vertebrae in your spine. Just go ahead and get some restoration out of there because there's enough in the provision of Jesus' broken body that we never have to be sick another day in our life. 
You never have to be broke another day in your life. Never have to live paycheck to paycheck another day in your life. Why? Because there's enough uh, supply and provision in the blessing. There's enough abundance in the blessing. We've got to receive it. It's not going to be manifest in my life just because it's mine legally. Just like what's in my account's not going to be spent just because it's in my account. I have to access it either with my debit card or with a check or with a withdrawal. I have to access and purposefully make a demand on what's in my account. Legal. By legal redemption, your legal covenant provision, physically, spiritually, financially, relationally, all of that provision for your life is there's enough in there so that your life could be days of heaven on the earth. That's the plan of God. He chose it. It's in this provision covering every area of our lives. But just because it's legally ours doesn't mean it's in vital manifestation, physical manifestation. How do I bring it out of the account into my life? Faith. I have to purposefully withdraw it with my, with my faith and with my words and, and apply it to these areas of my life. Hallelujah. Sow the word in the heart. And maintain that growth until it comes to a full harvest. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That works for healing scriptures. It works for financial scriptures. It works for peace, uh, prosperity, uh, marriages, raising children. Everything for days of heaven is in the seed book. It's in the seed book. But, you know, when my grandmother would plan her garden she would pull out her seed catalogs and she would determine what kind of tomatoes she was going to sow. She would have different tomatoes. She would have some big boy tomatoes, some beefsteak tomatoes, some heirloom tomatoes. She would have some orange tomatoes. I don't know what they were called. They were, some were orange, some were like a yellow, and, and, and some were big and, and, and round, and some were uh, all these different kinds because she had chosen what she wanted. She would choose what kind of, of shelly beans. I don't, I, don't know if I, I don't know that I've seen them since I saw her with those shelly beans. They were kind of speckled. And we would sit out on the carport for hours and break beans that were in huge buckets. I mean, buckets of beans all around everybody on the carport. Everybody, no TV on this night. We got beans to, to shell out here. Get out here and shell these beans. Got to strip the end off of them, break off the ends, that little string them and, and break them and, and get them ready for canning. But she planned all of that with her seed catalog. Here's your days of heaven on the earth seed catalog. Days of heaven on the earth. You need, you need to pick out the perfect husband God has for you. There's seed for that. There's seed for that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because you sure don't want to get one God didn't choose. <laughs> There's seed for that. There's seed for our marriages. Seed for every area. Days of heaven on the earth. 
days of heaven on the earth. But we've got to take the seed and sow it into the heart. Amen. Amen. Did you receive tonight? Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your word to us. Thank you, Father, for the faith of God that's made available to us. Lord, help us be proficient and skilled in the application of faith for your glory. Father, because we want to take your word and work it in our lives and be a demonstration of your goodness in the lives of other people. We want to be the salt and we want to be the light and we want to glorify you by bringing your word into full manifestation in our lives. Disciples of Christ. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Stand with me to your feet as we prepare to...